Thank you for that uh, music. If you were here last week, you may remember that we talked about this question of whether our lives really mattered. And we're going to come back to it again today. I said last week this is two parts, one of them before the resurrection of Jesus in the Old Testament, one of them after the resurrection of Jesus in our time. I was just looking at these little pieces of red oak and white oak over here, and a question occurred to me that I've wondered in my own life, in my own mind, uh, different times. You know, you have two trees, for example, standing side by side. One of them is cut down, sawed into boards, developed into lumber, and, and makes some beautiful object out of it, furniture, maybe the, the seat that you're sitting on. And we say, oh, how useful. This, this wood is so useful. Another tree, maybe standing right beside that one, was never harvested. And just stood there, and stood there, and stood there. And then it started to decay. And then a branch went here or there, and a knot hole came, and the birds hammered. And before too long, this tree just slowly withered and disintegrated, and it's gone. Falls over in a storm. And I have to wonder to myself, okay, what did the second tree amount to? Was its life in vain compared to the first tree? who was a sister tree, same time, same station, simply uh, a different destiny or fate. That be. So this is a question that we ask ourselves. It's a very existential, I have in a box there, some of the kinds of questions that we as human beings often and typically and regularly ask ourselves. We don't get up every morning and go through this list. But we think about this from time to time. And this is the mark of our humanity. It doesn't seem to us like the trees or the rocks or the coyotes or the squirrels think about these questions. But we do think about these questions. Good morning, Jenny. It's good to have you here. It's been a long, long time, dear. Thank you for coming today. Um, so... This is a question that's always occupied human beings, and here's an example of the great apostle to the Gentiles, the, the, the man that we call Paul, the saint, the apostle uh, Paul, uh, said this about himself early in his ministry after he had become a Christian. He says, um, you, you know, I, I had gone through such a reversal intellectually of thinking. I had gone from attacking Christ to embracing Christ. And people who used to be my enemies are now my friends. And this, this spent my head into a spin cycle. This put me into a spin cycle. And at times I wondered, even though I'd heard a voice, at times I wondered if I got it right. Or did I just have a bad trip or a dream? And am, am, I, am I spinning my wheels here? And so he says, I went up, this is in the Galatians, uh, this is in, in, in the book of Galatians, chapter 2. He says, I went up to Jerusalem, and he went there specifically to meet some of these early apostles or disciples, Peter and James, these people who had walked with Jesus, who had seen him feed 5,000 people with a fish, a couple of fish and a piece of bread. Anyway, he went there and he says, I told him what I was up to. I went there and I said, my name is Paul. This is the calling that I've received. This is the vision that I have. Uh, because I wanted to make sure, this is, just, this is just a typo at the bottom line here. 
He said, I wanted to make sure that I was not running my race in vain. In vain is not a separate sentence in the text. You can read it. It just says, I, was, I had this fear that maybe I was, I was out on a limb and everything that I was doing wouldn't end up counting for anything, wouldn't matter, would have no significance. And I surely didn't want to go through that. So I went up and I talked to these people that I had great respect for. And I said, look, if this is how I live my life and this is the calling that I pursue, is it worth it? And so this is the question that I'm asking and asking uh, from Solomon last week. We, we talked about uh, last week. I'm going to read a couple more uh, places where the same man, Paul, the apostle, talks about this same exact issue. One is in the book of Philippians, in chapter 2, verse 16. He says there, uh, verse 14, Do everything without complaining or arguing, as you hold out the word of life, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. I did not live in vain. I didn't take my time and spend my effort and give my money for nothing. He said, I hope I see you in heaven because I want to look at you and say, it was worth it. My time and my labor in life was not in vain. That my purpose, that I really did have a purpose in the world and my pursuing of that purpose was worth every ounce of the energy and the love and everything that I gave it. And I was just reading uh, recently about... uh, an article about a guy who basically he invented anesthetics. Um, although there's some argument, perhaps somebody else in another place was a little bit ahead of him. But this guy's name was Morton, uh, William Morton. He was a dentist up in the Boston area. And uh, he was a young guy, he was recently married, and he had this, he had this obsession with being able somehow to figure out a way to do surgery on people who came into him without causing them pain. You know, back in, this was in the 1840s. This was prior to the Civil War. And back then they had alcohol, they had opium, uh, they had a few things going for them, but mostly they just had them bite the bullet. Because they, you know, alcohol, opium, I mean, you could give them a little bit and it, it didn't help a whole lot. You give them a whole lot, you can kill them uh, or make them very sick and people would get tremendously sick. And it was just a very inexact science. And this guy, Morton, was, was just, he was an experimenter. He was interested. He wanted to help people. And he had this assistant. I forget to get the dude's name, but this assistant went to, was a partier. And on the weekends, he would go to these ether parties. And I, they would take ether and pour it into a big bowl and set it on the table and people would come around and sniff the ether and then they'd get dizzy and they would get high and they would go to sleep and all this stuff. And uh, Morton, hearing about these ether parties, put two and two together and he said, it puts them to sleep. Well, that would be ideal for doing surgery on them. And so he did, uh, he did some experimenting and some talking and just studying and he, and he came up with this... Uh, hydrochloric acid and grain alcohol and some kind of a mixture, and you come up with diethyl ether. And, uh, and he started his, his serious experiment, and then he got, he got bugs, and he got his goldfish, and he would put it in the water and all, the, all kinds of stuff, and his, eventually his dog. And his wife laughed at him. 
And his wife said, uh, why do you got to do all this? And he said to her, I have a great purpose in life, Lizzie. I'm going to get rid of the pain. Uh, I'm going to rid the earth of, for the pain of, sur- the, of pain so that people can have surgery. Something like that. I don't have a word for it. But his wife was laughing at him. You know, he would catch a cockroach and put, it, and put ether on it and then watch it as it woke up and, and all this stuff. And she was laughing at him and he was saying to her, no, 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 this is serious. I don't want to live my life in vain. I want to do something that changes or makes a difference. And that's exactly what Paul is saying in Philippians 2. Um, now, your, your goals or your dreams may not be quite as lofty as ridding the earth of pain. I mean, that's a pretty big one, you know. And he was able to. What he finally did, he, got his, he had a dog and he, and he etherized his dog and that worked pretty well. So he thought he reached a point he, he needed to go to the next level. So he shut himself in a room and gave himself the old cloth full of ether. And he recorded the time right before he did this. And when he woke up, it was seven and a half minutes later. And he said, I can do something with this. And that very night, a guy shows up at his door, his head's wrapped in a big towel, his jaw, jaw had swelled way up because of a bad tooth. And he, and he said, can you take it out? Can you take it out? And he said, I think I can. And he whoo, put the ether on the guy, and the guy just disappears. And so, it worked. And the world has never been the same because anesthetic has changed our lives for the better in a major way. And I'm simply saying, that's a very lofty goal. And yours may not seem to be nearly quite that important, but you have these goals where if somebody laughed at your life, you would say, wait a minute, hold it. I'm here for a purpose. I have a reason. There's something. You know, this summer, uh, I was coming up one summer or one Sunday one sunny morning, I was coming uh, north on Williamsport Pike on my motorcycle. And I'm just coming along a beautiful uh, summer morning. I was right there at the Risser Farm. Uh, I, I was looking over at this herd of Jersey cattle, and I was thinking about butterfat and all these different uh, wonderful things. You know, my mind was on nothing spiritual. I wasn't thinking in any way about my life, about eternity, about my purpose in life or anything else. I'm just looking at these cattle and then enjoying these little round pot-bellied jerseys that I'm seeing. And uh, just, I mean, unmistakably and clearly, I, didn't, I had a helmet on. Now, I don't have an intercom system in my helmet, but it couldn't have been any more clear than if I did. The Lord spoke to me. And said, the reason I put you on the earth was to point people upward toward heaven. Just as clear as a bell. I wasn't thinking about heaven. I wasn't thinking about the purpose of my life. I was looking at these cattle over here. And, and clearly and instantly, the Lord just reminded me that my life wasn't in vain. I wasn't thinking that was. But, but, but He just spoke to me, in a, in a, not in an audible way, but in a very clear way in my mind. I mean, it snapped me out of what I was looking at over here to say, there's a reason that I put you in the world. And it has to do with lifting other people and pointing their hearts toward heaven amidst all of the, the green grass and the brown cattle and the, uh, all of the finery and the beauty of the earth. There's more to come and there's something even more important. And it's your goal to keep 
telling people that and pointing people in that direction. It's your purpose in, uh, in, in life. Um, this is what Paul is saying in Philippians 2. In fact, I'm going to read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, another passage, where he says in verse 5, For this reason I could stand it no longer. I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might have been in vain or useless or, or didn't ever amount to anything. So, uh, so again, this, I'm going to get to 1 Corinthians 15, but I just want to, us to understand how, how very existential this question is of why is it that I'm here and does it really matter in the end whether I was here or not. Does truth exist among chaos? This is number three that I have mentioned here. You know, in, in 2 John, I have a verse listed there. I'm going to take time to read it as well because it, 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 it has a great, sad, and happy implication. In 2 John, this is the fourth verse of that little chapter, of that little letter. John says, It has given me great joy to find that some of your children are walking in the truth. And when I read that, I, my thoughts go two directions. My, my, part of my thoughts says, so there is a truth. There really is among all the chaos and all the lies and all the politics and all the evil, there's truth. Some of your, some of your children are walking in the truth. He's excited about that. The downside is not everybody catches it. And some people just spin their wheels and spin their wheels because they're in mud. They're not, in, they're not on the hard surface of the truth. They're over here in mud. They're in, in a, a lie. They're, they're in a lie. And they're just spinning and spinning and spinning. And, and you know, we, we kind of had this discussion last week. Solomon looked out at life, as he said, under the sun from the perspective of Absent, uh, absent the perspective of eternity. And Solomon said, you know, you're just spinning your wheels. Do you realize that? You do something and your kid does it and your grandkid's going to do it and it's just going to continue over and over because all is vain. Everything is vanity under the sun. This is what Solomon says. But we read a scripture. We tried to read a scripture. I don't know what happened. We try to read a scripture in 1 Corinthians 15. And here's the difference. And here's what it's saying. 3,000 years ago, Solomon is saying, oh, I don't know if any of it... He just couldn't see. 2,000 years ago, there was an unrepeated, unrepeatable event that happened. It was the resurrection of Jesus. And it gave us a glimpse of the certainty of life beyond death. That means that the final chapter hasn't been written, the final story hasn't been spoken, the final song hasn't been sung, the final purpose has not even been unveiled. That means there's a whole lot more than what we could ever know from just looking at life under the sun. That's our hope. Things got a whole lot simpler and a whole lot more positive and hopeful since the resurrection. So... When Solomon, before the resurrection, had never heard or wasn't sure at all whether we even survived death, we can understand his gloom, his uncertainty. But Paul comes along afterwards and says, hold it. We don't need to even think two seconds is about all we need to deal with this question. Because it's been answered for us. And that has to do with and from the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. So I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians 15. And I want to mention several different verses that are there. 
I got time. Just be with me. Just be patient. I got time. Several different verses there. First one is verse 2. He says, uh, You know, you have been presented with the truth. The evidence of the resurrection, the explanation of the resurrection has come to you, to you people at Corinth. And by this gospel you were saved, as long as you respond to it. But you have to continually respond. Otherwise, all the effort to get the news to you is going to be in vain. You see where he says that? So this, this raises part of the intellectual issue of our relationship with God, our ongoing walk with God. It is uh, about an intellect or it, uh, about an attitude. I'll use a different word here. It, this is not about the event in history. This is about my response to the event in history. Some things, his implication here in verse 2 is, some things become wasted or futile because people quit on them. If you're going to build a road to California and you quit in Nevada and you just quit and you say, I'm out of money, I'm out of energy, I'm out of time, I don't want to, I'm not going to finish this project. It's a sad state of affairs. And so it is when a person says, I believe, I believe, I receive, and then they just walk and grow and disdain, they, they, they walk away. They fall away. You know, uh, one of the great debates of the history of Christendom is, are we saved once and forever? In other words, is there any opportunity or is it possible that a person who really was saved could walk away, somehow turn away from that and could lose that salvation? And there's two very strongly held opinions about that, uh, about that question. Uh, my belief is that it is possible but I'm certainly, as a human being, in no condition to point out or to point out a finger and say, "Aha, here's an example." But this surely seems to be on the side of that point of view, where where Paul says, "Listen, I'm going to back up here, verse two again, where he says, "If you hold firmly to this word, otherwise it's it, it's for nothing. Just hearing it." Or even hearing it and responding for a short while and then giving that up isn't, isn't going to give you much traction. It needs to be something that you continue to hold on to. So this is what I'm saying. There are a lot of things, in, in this sense, the gospel is no different than many other things. If you put money in the bank and you leave it there for a little while and then you say, I don't trust that bank and you take your money back out. In other words, you've kind of turned away now from that commitment or that investment that you had. Don't get angry at the bank if you come back later and they say, oh, I'm sorry, we're not going to give you any money. You don't have any money here. It's not the bank's fault. You kind of invested and then you took that back and you walked away. And, see, and, I'm, and, and, and I'm simply saying, well, <laughs> in the long run, it didn't amount to a whole lot, what you did. And, and in, that, in that sense... Only, I'm saying, that there's many other areas of life that this corresponds to. If you're going to see results as a Christian, if you're going to get to heaven, if you want to have eternal life as your destination, you've got to hold on 
You've got to keep working and you have to keep on believing. It's not a moment in time where you had, uh, you know, where you saw this great light, but then slowly it all faded and you, you walked away in the distance. This is no different than a marriage. This is no different than a job. This is no different than many other areas in life. Children, raising children. If you're going to see results, it's not the fault of the issue if all you do is just give it a stab once or twice and then you back away and say, well, it don't work for me. No, you have to keep on and then you can say, see, it wasn't in vain. Often when people turn around and say it don't work, it's useless, it's because they haven't tried it very long or very hard. And then they say, well, it's all in vain, it doesn't work. And I'm saying (laughs) that the apostle here is saying this is not going to be in vain if you hold on and you continue to believe and stand firmly. Otherwise, it could be that it was all in vain. Here's uh, verse 10 uh, in that same chapter. He uses a, a, a number of different phrases, but they all come down to the same bottom line that have to do with emptiness, uh, spinning your wheels, meaningless, and, and so forth. Verse 10 says, um, God's grace to me was not without effect. I worked harder than all of them, but it wasn't just me, it was God's grace in me. My point is, to go back to verse 2, Paul is saying, I did believe, but I kept working at it, and I kept working at it, and I kept working at it. I worked harder than anybody at my faith. I, I, I was more serious and sincere than anybody in my faith. So it's not in, it wasn't in vain because I worked hard. I kept persevering, and I was, I was so sold out to what I believed that I never for a moment thought of, of quitting or, or just... Uh, Walking away from that. So that's the, that's the first thing. That's attitude. Now, here's, here's a, a different issue. And this one isn't your attitude. This is the reality of the issue itself. And this is in verse 14. If there is no resurrection of the dead, there's no resurrection of the dead. And if that's the case, all the preachers from all the churches throughout all history, starting with the first 12 men, are all just chatting in vain that's what he's saying all of the missions worked all of the operation christmas child boxes all of the efforts all of the sermons all of the studies all of the books all of the missionary journeys all of the of people who risk persecution he says it doesn't matter any of it if it's not true So now this is not an issue of whether I keep working at it. This is an issue of whether the thing is real to start with. This is real, real. This is so important. Your faith is useless. Your preaching is useless. If there is no resurrection. So as I said, you know, this takes about two seconds to clear up of whether or not our lives have have any worth or value or usefulness. It all goes back to whether or not Jesus walked out of that tomb on Sunday morning in Palestine. Because, I mean, this is his argument. This is his point. This is an issue of truth. This is not an issue of my attitude and my, and, and, and my uh, uh, um, hard work. 
This is an attitude, or this is an issue of, of truth. Uh, in, in other words, if, if everything that I'm trying to do is based on a false assumption, then I'm sorry, but it's a whole bunch of wind. It's just a puff of breath. It doesn't amount to, or it has no significance to it. It doesn't amount to anything. This is what he's saying. If there was no bedrock foundational truth beneath it to start with. If it's, you, you've heard of Ponzi schemes, right? You might, anybody ever been caught up in a Ponzi scheme? A <laughs> uh, lot, of, lot of folks. A lot of times through history, they've been repeated over and over. They're investments, they're real sincere investments from real people, but there's nothing there to start with. It's an investment just, you know, rolled over and built on the last guys. And I mean, if our faith is built on a Ponzi scheme, then it all is all, it's all ridiculous. This is his argument. And I'm saying to you, in a, in a sense, this is no different than any other area of life. Your marriage, if you marry someone thinking that they love you and are committed to you, and they don't, and they aren't, sooner or later, probably sooner, it's going to show up. And you're going to realize, I didn't accomplish anything because I didn't have anything when it started. I thought I did. I was fooled. It was a false assumption. Any area of life, you can't accomplish anything if you're basing it on... You, you accomplish nothing if it's based on nothing. So, we come to verse 58. The final statement on all of this discussion in 1 Corinthians 58, 15. Come to this final statement. Now, this is the part that got skipped in the slide, but it's here. Oh, listen. All of you, all of us. Stand firm. Don't get yourself or allow yourself to be moved. Give yourselves fully to the work. Because your labor is not in vain. This is, this is his, his summary of all that he wants and is trying to say. That is, is, is so important. This is the assurance. This is what the Bible says. If your lives, if someday we, we, when our time is done and we, we realize there, there's, there's no eternity and there's no Christ. And there, if, if that were true, this is a lie. And I don't know that we're going to be any worse for the wear. You know, there's a, there's a verse in this chapter, a, a, a sentence in this chapter, I've always kind of wished I could have, sit down and talk to Paul about because I would like to pick his brain because I don't agree with it, with the, how it comes across. He says, you know, if I only have a hope of Christ in this life, and that's all, in other words, if there is nothing true after death, man, I'm to be pitied more than everybody because I got fooled. And I've always felt just the opposite. I've always felt like if somehow or other I'm fooled and I'm wrong and this is all in vain, I still had a wonderful life. I, I don't feel anybody's pity me at all. And I've often wondered why Paul said that, but I think he's, he's talking in the context of the different world religions and he's saying um, that you know, we were the greatest fools of all because we believed in a, a, a charlatan or we believed in a... Um, in, in, in a trick 
because uh, uh, we thought that Jesus really rose again. So I think that's what he's saying. But anyway, let me close by saying these three things. First of all, to taking it from this statement in verse 58, stand firm, don't let anything move you, give yourself to the work of the Lord, because you know. And so, uh, I want to say three things. First of all, it's a very simple thing. Just decide, this is what I believe, and therefore this is who I am. Think it through. When you come to believe it, then make a resolution in your life that absolutely nothing can ever move. I don't care if they pry your fingernails out someday. Let them do it. But nothing will remove you, can move you because you have resolved in your mind, this isn't the intellectual side, that everything that the Scripture teaches us about Christ makes sense and it adds up. This we believe. This we therefore resolve to live under and follow and give our lives enthusiastically to. Secondly, therefore he says, always give, that's one word, that's one part, that's one issue, give yourselves, not just money or time, Give yourselves fully, not just partially. Give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. We each have different places. You know, these acorns. There's the red and there's the black. Or there's the white and there's the black. They make different kind of trees. We all have different slots to fill. But if it's true then, you know, you're, you may not be, have, have the purpose of solving the problem of pain during surgery, like William Morton had. But there's things, there are things that you can do. Devote yourself to them. Do something. This, this is the, the issue of, of not just intellect, but action. And I want to quit, I want to close by just saying this. Um, I won't be doing this sermon next Sunday. Uh, I did two of them, and talk about this issue. I think, we, I think the, this philosophical floundering around in this issue gets old real quick. I think we should only ponder it long enough to understand that it takes about two seconds to answer this question. Did Jesus raise from the dead? Then it's worth it. Then my faith is not in vain. And so I'm saying uh, nothing wrong with discussing this question. And certainly you're going to come up against it and by many people as they're trying to figure out their lives. But this question is something that at some point each of us should move past it. And we shouldn't probably have to spend a lot of our time sitting around saying, hmm, I wonder if it's really all worthwhile. Settle it. Resolve the issue. And then move on. Uh, and in the strength of that to say, I will always give myself fully to the work of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that, it has, that this question has been raised and that it has been clearly uh, answered in a way that, that makes it pretty simple and pretty joyful and positive for us on this side of the resurrection of Christ to look at the evidence and say, wow, uh, nobody can even know fully how worth it will be and how worth it that our, our faith in the Lord is, because we cannot even fully see, but we have great and astounding glimpses of that. And so we will then 
give ourselves to the work of the Lord. I praise you that we have the opportunity to ponder it. And we, we just ask for the strength in, in moments of, of trial or test. Not to ever compromise what we know to be the real, actual, true answer to this question. Thank you, Heavenly Father, in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus. Amen. My hope is built on nothing less. Can we sing a verse? Than Jesus' blood and righteousness. We've got something. It's not just an imagination. And you'll actually be turning to 404 rather than 402. Let's sing just verse 1. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid.